What's up? It's The Drive with Sam Piper, ESPN Radio 93.5. Derek Piper, Kyle Tosk. Load management day for Lante. He had to get through winter break, which he did. Credit to him. Although we did take a week off in there, so it's not like we were on every week, five days a week. But we're resting him up because I'll be on baby relief here pretty soon. Uh, hopefully within the next two weeks or so. I, my son came 10 days late, and I, we're not hoping for that with my daughter. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're getting Lon rested. If he needs it or not, he, he's, he's out today. Uh, Kyle and I will hold it down and get you ready for Illinois and Michigan, the Illini back in action after a disappointing performance the last time that we saw them on Sunday against the Maryland Terrapins. The Terps last night, while we're on the subject, that was a heck of a game, Kyle, there yeah. in Evanston between Maryland and Northwestern. Boo Booey and Jameer Young going back and forth. I don't know. Maybe a, I couldn't tell even as I was thinking about it. Does Illinois want Maryland to win? And that, does, that loss doesn't look as bad. Or then again, if Northwestern loses at home, then beating Northwestern by 30 and Champaign maybe doesn't look as good. So I, I don't know if there was a winner in that. But Maryland's definitely playing better. But credit to Chris Collins' is their side for doing what they should do, which is win at home. And unfortunately, Illinois didn't do that on Sunday. Yeah, that game, Illinois at Northwestern, is that next week? It is. I think next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. That's going to be a tough game. Northwestern, credit to them these last two years, it has been really hard to go to Evanston and win. Like Prior to last year, you think about, oh, at Northwestern, that's not barely even a road game, especially for Illinois. <laughs> yeah. Like Illinois fans would be 60% of the crowd there. but if Not more. I've we seen saw, more there. Yeah, I'm sure. And Last year we saw, obviously, Illinois really struggled there and didn't play well, and then a day later, Sky Clark leaves the team. That's right. And uh, and Purdue's lost there the last two years. Like, that's a tough place to play. That's going to be a really hard game, and I wouldn't expect Illinois to be as dominant defensively against a guy like Bowie two times. That's a good point. Yeah, their, their student section is definitely ramped up. They're, they're getting in, in the mix, and I'm not going to say it's – on the even top half of maybe most imposing places to go from an environment right. standpoint. But I do think they've had good turnouts and that it looks like – I know that a lot of the jokes – I'm a U of I grad, so I, I've always heard it like, hey, you know, Northwestern nerds, not a fun group, not a, a place that is all that raucous and, and fun and whatnot. But, you know, they make Northwestern basketball look cool, uh, and which – You'd say five years ago or through the the years has been hard to do. So uh, what they've been able to accomplish here the last couple of years, and, and I know you go back um, more than that, and, and Collins had a, a good team with Vic Law and Bryant McIntosh that went to the tournament as well. But this year they look in route for a back-to-back tournament appearance. And I, I think that I like their team. Like I, I like um, Brooks Barnheiser's a good player, man. I, I think he's an underrated guy in the league. He's a – He's a very skilled forward that doesn't shoot it all that great, although he can make it from the perimeter, is, is really skilled, uh, can go to uh, just a variety of moves around the basket. And the way that Ty Berry's shooting it this year has been really impressive, and it's been a step forward as he's taken on a bigger role with Chase Adige being gone, and obviously Bowie's doing what he's doing. And there was a different opinion of, of Bowie, I think, around here, especially with the way that Trent Frazier locked him up for a handful of years. Like, ah, yeah. oh, it's just a – a high-volume scorer is going to take some questionable shots. He'll have his night. Usually it was against Michigan State. Oh, he's, he went for 28 or 30 against the Spartans. Yeah, that's usually what he does. But then what does he do in the other 19 Big Ten games? But now he's a bona fide top-level guard. And I, I got to ask this, Kyle. I got this, this asked in a mailbag. I think it's pertinent now that we've seen some of the 
top guards in the Big Ten, and I th- I think he's a rung below what Illinois has seen. But when he's right, and what I'm speaking on is who they're going to see tonight. Doug McDaniel is a, a pretty good point guard, and especially earlier in the year, what he did against St. John's, and he's had a couple of explosive outings. But I was asked in my mailbag if you could take one player off a Big Ten team and put him on this Illinois team. Now, this was prior to Illinois losing Terrence Shannon, so uh, keep that in mind as well. And I, my answer was Zach Eady. I think that's the right answer. Yeah. But in terms of guards, Illinois has seen now Tyson Walker. They've seen Boo Booey. They've seen Jameer Young. They're about to see Doug McDaniel. I know that Bruce Thornton's had a good year at Ohio State. What do you think the right answer is now that we have a little bit more on our through our radar of seeing – them up close against the Illini this year and, and we're further along in Big Ten play. Is Bowie the right answer? Because that's where my gut said. Mm. Like back in, I, I answered it in December and I said that Bruce Thornton on paper is probably the right answer because of his assist rate and his, his three-point shooting was a lot better. But that Bowie to me as a fifth-year guy just kind of leaning into, hey, let's let's ride with this old group, last dance type of mode, that it was hard to go against Bowie. What do you think? Jameer Young's been really good recently too, though. That's a really tough one. I think, to me, there's probably three guys that I would consider, and it would be Bowie Young, and then I'd throw Tyson Walker in there as well. I know he's mm-hmm. not really – for Illinois, they'd love to have, like, a playmaker and a guy that can distribute a little more than Walker does. He more plays a two at Michigan State next to Hogard, but he's probably the best offensive player yeah. of the three, to be honest. And especially if you're, like, playing booty ball with the mask, him as a spot-up shooter yeah. would be really dangerous. Yep. Or with Shannon going downhill, of course, if if he's still in the fold. But, man, I do just watching Bowie and, and how he gets to spots, how he can drive. He's got that little floater that would be just so great in this Illinois offense. Like if you run a pick and pop with him and Coleman and Coleman pops out, but Bowie takes his guy and floats one in. I don't know, man. That's that's tough. And, and he's been great this year. He's, in some of Northwestern's best games, he's had like eight, nine assists and some of them. I know he had yeah. nine against Purdue and spraying it out to shooters, so I probably would have to go Bowie. I think he might be the most complete point guard. The little floater, and it wasn't a little one, the floater he hit late last night, he takes it like from the free throw line. I'm like, that's a bad shot. It he looks hit one like, of those against Purdue late, too. I'm like, oh my gosh, but it, it went right in, and then Maryland goes down, and, and they're not able to... I think that took the lead late, and then Maryland wasn't able to to make the shot, Jameer Young took a deep pull-up two that missed, and then ultimately Northwestern escapes. But It is tough, though. Jameer Young's averaging 21 points a game. He's just dominating. He's killing it. Yeah, and that, that's the guy that I expected to see all year long. And I, I don't think it's necessarily been Maryland being down has been tied to Jameer Young all on his own, not being the, the A1 guy this year. It's the supporting cast around him. They're obviously not shooting – the three at all. Geronimo, if, if you're wanting to feel a little bit better as an Atlanta fan, he made three threes last night. Oh, boy. A guy that had made three threes at, by the end of the Illinois game all season, he made three threes last night. But uh, that was a great battle. I, I would also add to this conversation before we move on, Bowie's a proven clutch performer, too. Yes. So that's one thing I, get, I think you were still asking early in the year with, with Terrence and even now, obviously, without Terrence. Does Illinois have some of those proven guys that you know, late in games, big games, crunch time that you can go to and has been in, been effective and successful in those stretches? So uh, Boo Boo is one of those guys. Yeah. I, the more I think about it, though, the more I might even talk myself into Tyson Walker, though. I don't know. That, he's another guy that's he's had some really good. He's too. been really clutch. And just thinking about 
some of the lineups you could play with the shooting and you just clear the floor out with Coleman, Walker, and Gary A., Harmon, whoever it is, and then let Damas go to work and then, oh, all of a sudden you got Tyson Walker sitting in the weak side corner ready to mm. pop a three or yep. something. Yep. Oh, man. I don't know. That's a really good question. It is. There's some really good point guards or just lead guards in this conference. Yeah, and I think obviously Atlanta fans hoping that Doug McDaniel's not on their brain when it comes to this question by the end of tonight. You got Illinois in Ann Arbor, 7.30 Central tip-off. I believe it's on FS1. Is that correct? I think so. I'll double-check that, but I think that that is, is what I have here. I'll pull up my my preview to double-check here. But, uh, yes, Doug McDaniel is able to go tonight because it's a home game. By the way, yes, FS1, Kevin Kugler and Stephen Bardo on the call, 7.30 Central from Chrysler Center. But McDaniel was out late last week against Maryland on the road because he's got a six-game road suspension that will put him out of road games until very late in February. But he's able to play at home, which, yes, it's weird because I don't remember anyone ever doing this. I know in theory it kind Why, of, Wait, hold on one second. Why do academics stop six games <laughs> in, though? Like, <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Oh, all of a sudden, classes end after six games, and he all of a sudden can go on the road again? Maybe his grades are up by then. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I, I guess if they're not, he could... It's you got to take some type of stand here, right? It's either he's fully ineligible, we're going to do the back-and-forth thing, but it's every road game, so you commit to this program, mm. or he just plays. Like uh, That's fair. Six games? That's fair. I think that if he was fully ineligible, he wouldn't be able to play, period. Right. But like, if he was NCAA ineligible. So th- this is what I've been wondering about. So clearly he's not NCAA ineligible, which right. I thought was – that was like the original rumor was that he was just going to be fully ineligible. Fully ruled out, right. So he must have gotten barely across the NCAA threshold, but Michigan being the – high-tier academic yeah. institution that they are was not happy with his GPA and said, all right, we got to issue something. A- apparently, that's the way it's gone. And I know Michigan here recently, I, a lot of people in the college basketball world, especially those that pay attention in the offseason to the transfer portal, understanding that Michigan maybe has different standards academically than some places where a guy like Terrence Shannon Jr. wasn't able to get in, ultimately, as he was – seriously considering going to Ann Arbor. Caleb Love was committed there and then didn't pass through admissions, and he had to wind up, oh, at, you know, where do you end up? Oh, yeah, Arizona. They're pretty good. So uh, it worked out for for him pretty well. I know some on the text line will get to it uh, as far as Terrence Shannon Jr. I haven't heard anything in terms of – I haven't seen anything posted as far as his hearing today in Douglas County over there in Kansas. He was due to make a appearance and to have just the kind of the initial – court appearance as far as his processing there and and as we understood it it was going to be him making his his plea of of not guilty and and then setting a new uh, date to then go ahead with trial I would imagine or or pre-trial again I'm not I'm not a legal expert as far as the exact terms that are supposed to be used but uh, that's there there is no update on that as far as we know we'll we'll keep you in touch I'll, I'll look and see if there is, is anything we can provide on that front. There is something in terms of Champagne Showers, uh, which is a website out there uh, that did a FOIA request. And it was interesting, some of the documentation that they were able to come up with, some emails, some text exchanges. Uh, I'm not going to read through all of that. You, you can find them on Twitter, uh, looking up Champagne Showers. And uh, I, I wanted to touch on that. But, and I guess now that we're here, we might as well go there. Uh, as far as anything new, uh, one 
bit of information that that is new in terms of being public and, and providing a exact timeline is that we know that there was a DNA search warrant involving Terrence back. Uh, this was passed along to the UIPD, the University of Illinois Police Department, uh, via email. So it is uh, a written document that, that has uh, obviously an ability to be FOIA'd and, and there's proof of it. So uh, on the September 26th, it was passed along to uh, Grant Briggs, who's a detective sergeant uh, with the UIPD, that uh, there was... Uh, to be discussed, a DNA search warrant regarding a UIUC student uh, for a sexual assault. So uh, that is involved. There, there's also further documentation and, and text, like I said, that um, involves a discussion of this uh, DNA taking and swab, uh, I would imagine, uh, taking place at Ubbin. Uh, I know it was discussed of, of it being... Uh, involved that it ha- having happened in, in Brad Underwood's office. So I, I think as far as what I've, I've gone through it, I, I've read through it, you know, a full time once and, and have skimmed back through it again. There's nothing that like in, in terms of like um, the Illinois side of this lying about what they knew and when they knew it, were they entirely maybe forthcoming or, or using the exact wording as they could have like Josh Whitman saying, that through his press conference that they were number one not aware of anything beyond improper touching um on on the front of end of this now could improper touching be another way of saying an alleged sexual assault possibly so there is that also we don't know that there there is no email that is assigned to Josh Whitman uh as far as this exact one that we find in the, in the FOIA that's that's been published here. So uh, I know that Whitman voiced that a lot, pretty much all of his communication regarding this this case, this investigation was through the UIPD and, and what the Lawrence Police Department was passing on through them. There is documentation that it was told to the UIPD that this was a this was a situation regarding an alleged sexual assault. So uh, did that exact wording get communicated to U of I, I imagine, in, in some capacity, if not fully? Yes. Uh, and again, I, I don't want to sit here and speak for Josh Whitman, but uh, even if it was uh, told to him it was it was an alleged sexual assault, it was not a charge at that point. So I think that their, their policy and, and how they respond um, could st- would still hold up. Uh, them not having enough information at that point to, to act on and to put Terrence in a situation where he's suspended and have the panel review and whatnot. At that point, it's just an allegation. He's cooperating with the, the warrant and with the investigation. So, uh, I, we can, there's really not a whole lot else to add as far as that goes. Um, everything else is, is pretty well in line with what we already know. And the, there is no update as of uh, right before the show I checked. I've been refreshing the... I do, I, I do see an update now here on Twitter. Okay, go ahead. It's from uh, Mitch Gilfillan. He's a lawyer from Peoria who's been covering the case on Twitter a little okay. bit here. He says, Kansas court update from January 18th. The hearing today was a first appearance. All parties besides the state slash district attorney appeared on Zoom. Formal reading of charges and potential punishments were waived. The preliminary hearing is now set for February 23rd at 1.30 p.m. So that is, I believe, all that came from it. 
So essentially nothing. Nothing except a preliminary hearing date set for February 23rd. Which is near the end of the regular season. That's right. So I don't know. It would take a lawyer to answer this question in terms of the exact process of now that you go into a preliminary hearing. Prior to that is then discovery opened up to where you, there, there's sharing of, of what each side has uh, at their disposal or not. I, I don't know that. Um, if, if you're a lawyer out there listening, feel free to weigh in on that. Uh, and look, we got plenty of time between now and then to figure some things out. On the note of the TRO, which is a little bit more, I would say time sensitive, but really not because there hasn't been an exact date or timeline of there needs to be a ruling from Judge Lawless after the hearing in Springfield last Friday to say by he- by now she needs to say the TRO is denied or approved. We still, as of now, have not heard anything regarding that. There has not been a ruling as of right before the show um, in terms of that, in terms of how that goes. So uh, that would really give us a clear picture on what his immediate status is. Uh, obviously, in, in the meantime, he has continued to be suspended. And if the TRO is granted, then that suspension would effectively be, be lifted and then it would be up to Illinois to make that decision whether or not to play him. And then, of course, that TRO lasts 10 days. There's an extension of another 10 days that could go out, and then a ruling on an injunction would be having to be go underway and, and really kind of have some finality to, to that. So uh, in the meantime, we mentioned it yesterday. Uh, the news has been put out that Terrence Shannon and his legal team have subpoenaed the DNA evidence. So naturally, as I mentioned with a DNA collection happening in late September, there are the questions of when did the results come in terms of knowing if it was aligning with Terrence or not? Was that, I admittedly, I'm asking this question and and I'm doing, I'm assigning myself some homework to try to find an answer if I can, as far as, is there any legal obligation for then the police department, the prosecution through the investigation for them to tell Terrence or his attorneys that what those results were so would there be a situation where Terrence and his his team his legal team would already know what those results are before the subpoena I I know what's been said out there uh I know it's it's been voiced um by by people in terms of what they think they know and again I don't know uh, as far as what those those DNA results are or said to be so I, I can't confirm that uh, I, I'm trying to figure out if there is a legal obligation or any anything that can be firmly confirmed of that being shared. But uh, at the very least, through the subpoena, they will be provided that within a 14-day window. And then I would imagine if it does not line up, if there is no DNA evidence uh, or they didn't find that it was a match with Terrence, that his legal team would probably be pretty aggressively voicing that not only in court, but probably even publicly as they, they shape the, the narrative around this. And, and one thing I would, I would say to kind of conclude my thoughts here, and we can only go so far because I don't want to speculate. And obviously uh, I don't want to speculate too much. And, and obviously we got a basketball game to talk about, but one thing I've wondered about is if they get that subpoena when it comes back and they have the evidence presented. And if it says the DNA did not, match uh with the victim swab and and if essentially the dna did not prove anything as far as terrence goes would then terrence be able to submit that to 
the conduct committee as new evidence or and, new information. And would it change anything? And would it change anything? So I know that the conduct committee has said that they would reconvene if there was new information or a new development and potentially update their ruling. It still seems hard to believe even with that bit of evidence. Although of course you could stack it up if you're a Terrence inside and say no DNA, no video, no witness to this point that we know of and say, okay, this is, this is my case um, to the, the panel to lift the suspension they, of course, could then cede and say, look, you're still charged with rape, and until you're not, we're not going to overrule that or just step over and say, we're just going to lift the suspension and we believe you in, in that sense. So I, I don't know that, but I think that part of it is a, a little bit interesting. And I think from a next step perspective now that we have this update that a, a preliminary hearing set for February 23rd, that would theoretically be a time in court where – Let's say, again, not to speculate, but if they do get the DNA evidence and it doesn't match the Terrence and that pair that with the video evidence that they apparently don't have and whatever. And, and maybe there's more cards to be played by the district attorney at that time. But that could potentially be a date where a judge could throw the case out for lack of evidence at that point on February 23rd. Because mm -hmm. I think what you just, what you guys were discussing before was this was more of an arraignment and a, a plea of not guilty. And there was the likelihood of anything being decided was low, but a preliminary hearing from my understanding is where evidence begins to be presented. And there could theoretically be an opportunity for, Hey, if there really isn't anything, then Hey, maybe the case does get thrown out. And at that point, there's still a college basketball season to be played in, in March madness and whatnot. Yes. But, uh, I, that's just something that I would think about now knowing that we have a date for that. That's a good point. And I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, if you want to weigh in, you can 217-359-2255 on the U of I Atlanta link text line. Let's talk some hoops. Illinois and Michigan tonight in Ann Arbor. We're going to catch up with Zach Shaw, the Michigan insider, works for 24-7 Sports, covering the Wolverines. Get his take on this Michigan basketball team, Jawan Howard. I uh, also want to talk a little Jim Harbaugh with him before we let him off the phone, uh, the Tapman's Towing phone line, of course. Uh, just as his thoughts and gatherings of now that Jim is interviewed for the Chargers and the Falcons, what the temperature is there in Ann Arbor. So look forward to catching up with Zach on the other side of this break. Stick with us. This is The Drive. Ready for some much-needed pampering and girl time? We've got just the place. Call to schedule your very own private girls' night out at Merle Norman Cosmetics Studio. We're talking express facials, makeovers, and personalized beauty tips. Our masters of makeup will give you and your friends a chance to find the right foundation, learn what works for your skin, and rock some hot new looks. Call and book now at 217-359-8100 at Merle Norman. Find us on social media at Merle Norman Cosmetics Champagne. When Ross went out, I always told him, be careful. And that was the last time I got to see him. Because someone didn't slow down and move over. Ross had on a bright orange shirt with reflective stripes the night he was killed. He always had that smile. He just lit up the room when he came in. Slow down and move over when you see flashing lights. Everybody is somebody, somebody. When you see lights flashing, use caution passing. Let's all go home safe tonight. 
I-L-L-I-N-I. Cheer on the Illini and Pia as the pregame fun starts at Pia Sports Bar and Grill. Pia serves up its famous 10-ounce Slugger Burger along with great wings and so much more. Enjoy 350 22-ounce light and course light drafts every home and away Illini game. Watch the game at Pia's or ride the free shuttle to all home games. You'll find it all at Pia's with live video gaming, sports, food, drinks, and fun. See you at Pia's, West Springfield Avenue in Champaign. A tradition of excellence over 150 years in the making. At Busey Bank, we're committed to building relationships that span generations. Wherever your journey in life leads you, we are with you along the way, creating a legacy for you and your family. Busey Bank, building business, growing wealth since 1868, proud to be the official bank of the Fighting Illini, member FDIC. Have you ever looked at a junk truck and said, man, that truck is pretty? Two men in a junk truck trucks are pretty. They're pretty big, so they can handle large jobs. They're pretty reliable. Two Men in a Truck has been recognized as a trusted leader in the moving industry for over 35 years. Now we are proud to offer that same reliability to junk removal. And they're pretty fast. When you're ready to let some things go and that you don't need, you don't want to wait three weeks. You want it gone now. Go to twomenandajunktruck.com and make room for what matters most. At Pards in Urbana, the boots just keep on coming. They're known for their huge collection of men's cowboy boots, women's cowgirl boots, kids' boots, and even shoes. If you're searching for top footwear brands, look no further than Pards. They carry a wide variety, including Ariat, Dan Post, Smoky Mountain, Roper, Double H, and more. And if socks or accessories are what you need, they've got all your high-quality essentials. Since 1968, Pards has been serving their customers with high-quality merchandise. And if you haven't been to Pards in a while, a lot has changed. Go check them out just off University Avenue in Urbana. Bet like the pros with the world's largest sports book right at your fingertips. Circus Sports is now available in Illinois. Hi, I'm Derek Stevens. I've been a lifelong sports better and I'm the owner of Circus Sports. We're excited that the Circus Sports app is now ready for action. Experience big app bets with high betting limits, tight money line splits, and more. Now you can download, fund, and bet like a pro from anywhere in Illinois. Download your new bookie today at CircusSports.com. If you or somebody you know may have a problem with gambling, call 1-800-GAMBLER or text ILGAMB to 833-234. Two Men in a Truck has been recognized as a trusted leader in the moving industry for over 35 years. Now we are proud to offer that same reliability to junk removal. Introducing Two Men and a Junk Truck to the Champaign area. Our goal at Two Men and a Junk Truck is to help you make room for what matters most. We can make your garage, attic, basement, house, or business look bigger with our furniture or appliance removal. Contact us today at twomenjunktruck.com. Kelsey Furniture in downtown Tuscola sells Tempur-Pedic beds. What's it like? I'm going to tell you right now, Stevie, that that thing is the best thing I've ever slept on in my life. My wife and I both have said we've never had better night's sleep. And the people at Kelsey's were fantastic. Brian is the guy that helped us. You know, as much as I did my research, he has a world of knowledge about beds themselves. Oh, man, it's like sleeping on a cloud, man. Kelsey Furniture, downtown Tuscola. Back on the drive with Sam Piper, ESPN Radio 93.5, Derek Piper and Kyle Tosk today. Let's talk some Illinois and Michigan. 
in Ann Arbor, Chrysler Center tonight, 7.30 Central tip there as the Atlanta go on the road to battle the Wolverines. Let's catch up with the Michigan side of things. Zach Shaw for Michigan Insider with 24-7 Sports joining us now on the Tapman's Towing phone line. Zach, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, good to hear from you guys, and I'm sure you guys are a little more excited about tonight's game <laughs> than Michigan fans are. I was going to say, does it even feel like basketball season over there? Or is it it's still a party from the uh, the old national title? Yeah, it's. it's uh, I mean, well, it's it's a party in some sense, but also I think fans are refreshing the message boards, refreshing Twitter, uh, trying to catch up on the Jim Harbaugh side of things. So mm. it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, I'm sure Illinois fans have been through it with different sports as well. But yeah, when the team is, I mean, it's not even February, and I would argue Michigan's already kind of out of the tournament picture. So it's a, it's a different kind of coverage. I mean, I've covered a lot of the John Beeline teams. I covered some of those early Jawan Howard teams. I mean, there's always kind of that, 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 all right, now we turn our attention to basketball. And I think, I think football fans or Michigan fans in general are kind of trying to, trying to push it down as much as they can, trying to see if they, uh, they can do something else with their time. I do want to ask you more about Harbaugh before we let you go, but let's start with the game tonight and just kind of a big, maybe big picture with this Michigan program uh, on the hoop side. Where do you think things stand with Juwan Howard? I was reading Brendan Quinn's piece today on The Athletic talking about, of course, there's plenty of rumblings and speculation. Is this going to be Juwan's last year in Ann Arbor? Not, not that I saw uh, Brendan Quinn quote anybody or have any said sources. He's, he's definitely going to stay or anything, but I know his feeling was that he thinks that Juwan, uh, if he wants to, would still be in Ann Arbor. So uh, what's kind of your temperature of it, both dealing with the fan base and how they feel and just overall maybe viewpoint on do you think Juwan is, is long for Ann Arbor or will survive this season if they don't make the tournament or even the NIT? Yeah, I think – I mean, Brendan's obviously very plugged in. I think he made some, some good points. Uh, and I think basketball is a little different than football at Michigan and just that the boosters are not – kind of attaching their pride and sense of, uh, you know, self, I guess, I guess they're not attaching their egos to the basketball team success. Like they do the football team. Mm-hmm. You know, people talk about football school, basketball school. One, one perk to being a basketball coach at a football school is, you know, you, you tend to get a longer leash because it's the boosters aren't lining up to pay your buyout in the same way that they might for, for a football coach who's struggling in the same way. And then, you know, Ward Manuel, I think in his whole tenure, um, you know, I was just having this discussion with local radio affiliates, and he he definitely is someone who puts a lot of trust in the coaches that he hires. You know, it's it, it's kind of funny because you could argue the best thing he has done as athletic director was trust Jim Harbaugh to figure it out in 2020. I mean, it's kind of funny that his best action was technically inaction, mm-hmm. but I do think that, you know, for better or for worse, he is someone who, who believes in the coaches uh, that he employs that they can figure it out more so than maybe the the court of public opinion. But I do think the temperature is kind of hot because I think the difference between Jim Harbaugh when he was on the hot seat, when John Beeline was on the hot seat, is I, I think Juwan Howard, I don't know, one, I don't think either coach struggled as much as Juwan Howard struggling right now. But then, two, I think you know you got to avoid stepping in it from the PR standpoint. you got to – how many – transfers can you take and then have to and sheepishly admit you didn't check all the boxes from admissions or how many times can you um you know have either off court or i guess technically on court incidents that become national news i mean it's 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 just it's beyond just 
not having a good season. Because it, it is fair to point out, you know, they've lost a lot of players to the NBA. They, you know, losing Hunter Dickinson at the time that they did, you know, you can't really add a recruit in his place. So, you know, some of it's not his fault, but at the same time, I think he is, he is struggling in ways that, that might be hard for uh, Michigan to really justify. And, and, and then the attendance is down. I mean, you know, basketball, it's, it's never going to be like football, but you can't have half full Big Ten games, half full arenas for, for Big Ten games at 7 p.m. On a, you know, on, a, on a weekend or whatever. I mean, you've got to sell tickets to some degree. So uh, I think the temperature is a little warmer. And then the, the factor I would throw in there that intrigues me is Jace Howard is a senior. He's going to get his degree. So that would mean that theoretically, Juwan Howard coached both of his kids. They accomplished what they were going to accomplish at Michigan. And so I don't know if Michigan would necessarily fire Juwan Howard because that's a that's a tough tough way to treat someone who led you to an Elite Eight, led you to another Sweet Sixteen. You know, was a member of the Fab Five. You know, but is there a mutual parting of ways? That I think is a little bit more conceivable to me because I I just I think he is a coach that would be better in the NBA, and I think he understands that you know this this job is pretty challenging, and so I think the question would be you know does he have a plan for like a reset of, of doing things differently than they've been done the last three years? Or would it be easier for him and Michigan to maybe just kind of mutually separate and, and uh, ag- agree to, to part ways after the season? Hard to tell. It kind of depends on the next 14 games, but certainly, I don't know. I think, I think fans are getting, are reaching their boiling point you know, in terms of the hot seat. I think it's, it's, it's frustrating. I'm sure Illinois fans have, have dealt with it in sports as well, where it just does not feel like you know you're going into games against Illinois and Purdue, two teams used to go toe to toe with, and were like big nationally televised rivalry games. And I don't yep. think Michigan fans feel like they have much of a shot. Yeah, end of the John Gross tenure on basketball side. Way too many times on the football side. Lovey Smith, uh, most recently for sure. Zach Shaw is our guest on the Tapman's Towing phone line. He writes for the Michigan Insider, uh, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Uh, when you think about this season, they Michigan was coming off of a five-game losing streak. They snapped that on Monday in a win against Ohio State. What has been going wrong, in your opinion, with this current team? And did they figure anything out in that Ohio State game that might carry over into tonight, in your opinion? Yeah, I think in terms of figuring things out, I, I do think I saw a slightly better defensive effort, you know, against Ohio State, and, and it helps to be at home. You know, a lot of their losses, for as much as, you know, I kind of rag on Michigan, they have played a, a tough schedule with most of their marquee games being away from home. I think the only high major team to play in Ann Arbor, I guess Minnesota and Indiana are the only two that I can think of. I mean, they played in the Bahamas, they played St. John's in the Garden, they played at Oregon, at Iowa, at the Palestra. I mean, they've, they've been kind of, they've been all over the place. So I, I do think being at home uh, can help just the, the mental maturity of, of when the other team makes a run, can you stop the run and start your own run of your own. So I think, you know, I think they're learning that defense can help on that front. Um, uh, so, you know, it, it, it's certainly better, but I do think some of the problems are still there. I mean, this is a team that, kind of runs a six or seven man rotation depending on who's healthy and that it and you can go look at the box scores they've been up double digits at halftime and in the second half even in a lot of these games but i do think they run out of gas that's what happened against indiana florida minnesota penn state 
um, Oregon. I mean, these are all games that you could argue Michigan, quote, should have won. Uh, they didn't, and it just seemed like those last five, ten minutes is when it really started to fade. So, um, yeah, I think they figured some. I think they're they're slowly figuring out the defensive mindset because I, I think a lot of it's mental. I mean, they're I, athletically they should be just as good as anyone defensively, uh, but I think a lot of it's kind of the the, the court awareness, the mental discipline that kind of wanting to be really good at defense. Uh, yeah, they're still trying to figure that out, and then, but ultimately, I mean, honestly, I mentioned all the teams that they have beats against, and I know that doesn't mean much when they give them the final scores the other way. But I do think that this is a team with good offensive firepower. I think they can score from all five positions. I think they can shoot from all five positions. So I think you know if they can start to figure out that defense, start to maybe maybe have a freshman or have you know a player off the bench kind of start to work their way into that rotation just to give guys a break because you know, Doug, Doug McDaniel, I know he's got his academic situation to sort out, but he's leading the Big Ten in minutes per game. And they've got, I think, five guys in the top 14 of that list. So it's just, it's kind of crazy, the, the lack of depth. Um, and I think against Ohio State, I think they survived it. And I think defense helped. I think being at home helped, but still, it, you know, it's hard to hard to make it through the Big Ten if you don't really play that good a defense and you don't have a lot of depth. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Obviously, the the Doug McDaniel situation it's been highly talked about and, and poked fun at you know around the Big Ten or the country and whatnot. But uh, a really good player, especially you know when he's on, he 26 against St. John's at the Garden, 30 plus in, in games against Oregon uh, and another one this season as well. What have you seen from him? How dangerous can he be when he has it going? And, and what do you kind of expect from him? How do you feel? I know I'm, I'm loading up this with, with a bunch of side questions, but how, how do you feel like he's handled this situation? And then what are you kind of expecting from him tonight as far as what he can bring to the table against the Illini? Yeah, I think you know, having talked to coaches even before he arrived at Michigan, I think there was always a belief that, that he, he just really, really, really enthusiastic basketball player like that was always kind of the word or the the high energy and and i think that's he he offers that spark for michigan i mean it, in a lot of ways he's kind of that he's the quarterback right at point guard and i think he's able to to bring the energy he's able to push the pace when it's time to i think he's able to you know he's starting to learn kind of the nuances of being a point guard he really started to turn it on last year actually when they were kind of sort of making a run, ended up not making it all the way, but you know, he they had a nice finish to the season, had some nice quality wins, and I feel like he played a big role in that. Um, so I think, you know, as a player, I think they've always loved his attitude, they've always loved his coachability, his work ethic. I think uh, you know, in terms of the, the academic side of things, I actually don't I don't know everything about his situation, but from what I had heard, I actually don't hate this compromise. I think it's it's uh you know, in some ways, there shouldn't be excuses. You know, if you're ineligible or if you, you know, fall short of the academic standards, uh, you should face consequences. But I think you're seeing more and more around the country that, that maybe not this unorthodox, but I think you're seeing more of the NCAA and, and schools saying, hey, maybe instead of wiping out your whole semester, is there some way that we can get more from you from an academic standpoint without. Um, without ruining your career, without ruining your season, without ruining, you know, punishing the entire team. Uh, you've got coaches' jobs at stake, you know, the fans. So I, 
I guess we'll see how this goes. It's it's definitely unorthodox. I don't think I've I've covered a situation like this, but I you know talking to people in the academic on the academic side of things, both at Michigan and the NCAA, I think there's a uh, an effort to be a little less punitive when it comes to the academic punishments and try to be a little bit more. The, the term they use is restorative justice, which is kind of you know trying to establish a consequence, but maybe not one that that has this giant ripple effect uh, that, that ends up impacting a lot of people who really didn't have any control over your situation. So, you know, I've, I've heard nothing but good things about his character and his energy level and his, his effort and practice. I think, I think that played a big role in his freshman to sophomore year jump. I think, you know, Michigan has a pretty good history of getting freshmen to, to kind of blossom as sophomores. And I think he's kind of the latest just because his work ethic was there. I think his, um, his commitment was there. I think he, you know, maybe maybe a little bit more time on the homework uh, this semester, and, and you know, on those road trips, or while his team's on the road trips, and and he'll be. I think he's he's got captain potential. Um, and as far as on the court, yeah, I think he really helps this offense flow. Uh, they definitely function a little bit. I mean, they don't really have a backup point guard, so that's part of it. But <laughs> they function a lot better with him on the court, and I think he he does a really nice job, kind of feeding the machine because Michigan I think their biggest strength is they have five guys who can score and who can shoot at any given time and so I think he does a nice job kind of finding the open man and kind of keeping that offense flowing a few more minutes here with Zach Shaw with the Michigan Insider you can follow him on Twitter at underscore Zach Shaw no Hunter Dickinson obviously in this battle anymore uh when I saw him earlier in an exhibition game when Kansas came to town but uh do you feel like there's any rivalry left in this uh, this clash between the two sides? I know that Hunter even said last year it's hard to have a rivalry when it's one-sided, but uh, what do you think on that? Juwan has yet to beat Illinois. I know Illinois fans, if they're told to, to think happy thoughts, that might be the one thing that pops into their head that, that makes them smile again. But uh, it, it, I know through the years when, when players cycle out, sometimes the, the friction on the court probably then – uh, dissipates. You think that's probably the case now with not as many familiar faces from those uh, those years, a few back when the the Big Ten title was in contention and, and whatnot. Yeah, I, I do think it's a little bit less, and and, and this is not meant to be a slight at Illinois fans because I think there's a lot of history between Illinois and Michigan basketball. But if you ask Michigan basketball fans, you know who are the biggest rival rivals? I don't think Illinois comes up, and that's, right. again, that's that's just. Uh, if you ask Michigan fans. And so, you know, for a few years, though, I think Hunter and then obviously the Terrence Shannon, mm. uh, him almost enrolling at Michigan and, the, you know, that whole thing, I think that fueled it. Um, I, I'm certain Jawan Howard wants this win. <laughs> you know, he he understands his record against Illinois, and, and it's not something that's, like, on his resume. Again, I, I, I don't know if Michigan fans view it quite the same way, but at the same time, you know, he's he's gone up against Brad Underwood several times and and he's had good teams and brad underwood's had good teams and michigan has yet to win in that situation so um you know i think i think the big thing though is is this i think michigan players really view this as as a chance to because they they, the michigan players no matter what i believe no matter what fans believe michigan players believe they're they're really close to being a top group team in the big 10 and you know they feel like they've played a lot of good teams close uh they've they've they have two quadrant one wins, which is more than some teams that are in the tournament picture right now. Um, so I think 
I think there's a belief that even though they, they, they've had some slip-ups, they've had games where they just didn't have it, uh, they believe at their best they can compete with anybody. And I think, I believe this is their first game against a currently ranked team. And so for them, I think they're looking at this as a chance to, to kind of prove that, prove themselves right. And so um, there's definitely going to be, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the fan crowd is going to be like. The crowds have not been very good all year for Michigan, uh, just, you know, for a number of reasons. But, but uh, I think there will be some extra juice in this, in this uh, game, just because I think Michigan players realize, like, hey, this is, this is a prime opportunity. Because if you win this game, you know, fans might start rethinking what you can be this season. Last one for you, Zach. Kind of to come full circle and return to the hardball conversation. What's kind of your read on it in terms of where you think his head is at? I know that, that's a tough question, but he has interviewed for the Chargers, the Falcons. We know that. We know there's been reporting as far as what he might be asking for in terms of a contract uh, with Michigan. And uh, there, there's been speculation regarding would it include a, a clause that would prevent him from being fired from any findings in, within the NCAA. We saw something similar to that in basketball with Bill Self. What do you think about that and then just the potential of him possibly hopping to the NFL? Yeah, I think the interest in him going to the NFL uh, is very high. He wants to win a Super Bowl. He's said that before. And I think in his mind, he's if he closed the book on his time at Michigan, you know, you, you don't really you can't go out much higher than that. Fifteen and zero national champion, three straight wins over Ohio State, three straight Big Ten titles. So I think I think there's a I don't think he's opposed to returning to Michigan, but I do think he understands he's sixty years old. This is probably maybe you never know, but maybe his last uh, truly good shot at landing a, a good NFL job. I think. But what I've heard over the past week is that he, he's going to be kind of picky about it. You know, he's not just taking any job he can get. You know, he wants pretty high salary. He wants a lot of roster control. He wants uh, – he's not going to be – he knows he can't pick his GM, but he wants to have it be a GM that he's compatible with. So I think the, the interesting question is, is, has he overplayed his hand? Because I think he's a very appealing candidate. Uh, he's a proven, successful coach at the college and pro level. But, you know, there are other coaches out there. And I think, you know, the Los Angeles Chargers are the ones that keep getting brought up. You know, they interviewed Mike Vrabel today. I think he's a very good, qualified head coach. I think if they hired him, they they could expect to make the playoffs fairly soon. Uh, you know, they're going to interview Dan Quinn, another guy with the track record. So, I still, I, my hunch is still that Harbaugh goes to the NFL, but I do kind of wonder if, if his specifications, his pickiness, uh, not necessarily a surprise. You know, he he's uh, he wants things done his way. That's kind of how he's always done it. Michigan was open arms about it, and and now they're reaping the benefits of it. But yeah, I do. That's like the the unverified hunch in me is that I think he he wants to go pro. I think there's a market for him in the pros. I still kind of lean toward him going pro, but I think these NFL teams are also going to look at other candidates and wonder. You know, hey, this guy's going to come, and he's not going to have all these demands. Or this guy would sign on for for a cheaper deal, and and you know, we can pick whoever we want as GM. So I do, I do kind of wonder. That's always the fine line you walk is is if you're, you know, you're you're a great, if you're a coaching candidate. You know, how how much do you, how high do you set those demands to be? And uh, you know, but I think Michigan, Michigan would love to keep him. So they're going to keep trying. They're going to try to meet all of his demands. It's just a matter of. Uh, if the NFL meets his NFL demands, I feel like he would rather move on to the NFL this year. 
Uh, it's just a matter of if, it, if the right team with the right roster and GM in place uh, gives him that opportunity. Great stuff. Zach Shaw, once again, read his stuff at the Michigan Insider with the 24-7 Sports Network. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore Zach Shaw. Zach, really appreciate you taking the time out to join us today. Uh, best of luck covering and surviving Harbaugh Watch and uh, try to enjoy it a little bit, all right? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, great. Zach, really appreciate it. Zach Shaw on the Tapman's towing phone line. Good stuff from him, both on the hoops and the football side. He said it there. His feel is that Jim Harbaugh will probably make the leap to the NFL. It would be very, very interesting. The pivot, of course, I could have follow-up questioned that one with Zach. Where would Michigan go from here on the football side? But we just didn't have that much time. So uh, I'd have to imagine it'd be their offensive or defensive coordinator. Makes Especially sense. Especially Sharon Moore, who coached him for, what, seven games this year? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. The guy that was crying, right? Yeah, on the, the guy who cried. The and, oh, this is for you, Jim. It's for you, Jim. I, I think that's probably where they'd go because you, you already got the ties and the respect of the locker room. and That's, that's a good call. I'm glad you brought that up. That. Yep. I do think I, – I think he's going to go to the Chargers. I do. I think that'd be the perfect – would be a great marriage. Perfect hire for them. Yep. Him and Justin Herbert. I do want to, as we go along, talk a little bit more about the coaching carousel that's going on in the NFL. Of course, you have some offensive coordinators being interviewed for the Bears. A little bit of a side note in the note of some bigger names like a Bill Belichick – his second interview with Atlanta. Uh, I mentioned that Harbaugh's interviewed with Atlanta. What's Philly going to do? Mike McCarthy's staying put in Dallas. There's a lot to touch on there as far as that goes. I know that uh, our guy, who I say that kind of, uh, I don't know, in jest, a little bit of a joke, um, Colin Cowherd said that on the note of Cliff Kingsbury – Lon's boy, who interviewed for the OC with uh, the I know Bears. you're fired up about that interview. Oh, boy. Yeah. No. No, thank you. That relationship between him and Kyler, it was pretty toxic. It was very visible to see. It wasn't hard to, like, you had to read through between the lines. You had to read these these articles that had unnamed sources. Like, they were shouting at each other, mostly Kyler. That just might be who Kyler is. But uh, it didn't seem to work that well. Definitely not end very well between those two. And now you want to pair him with, and I'm assuming a lot of people. Will if they hire him, it's Caleb. It's, it's Caleb. Yeah. yeah. There seems like a couple, like based on who the Bears have interviewed, Greg Roman like, would be Justin Fields. There's like half of these guys are paired with Fields, and half of these guys are paired with Williams, and there's maybe a few that you could work with either. It just and there's there, a, it, there seems like obvious. Yeah, that's a great point. Pairings there. And there's a few that just are from the Colts tree. So yeah, let's just yeah. let's just do that because Eberflus is from the Colts organization and Bill Polian pretty much strong armed the Bears into hiring either him or Jim Caldwell. And here we are. So let me ask you this. We we've taken this long, so we're only gonna we'll catch a break here and, and do the top of next hour, continue our conversations. But before we catch a break, let me ask you this. Should I be bitter? And not to say that he would end up in Chicago, but of course he wore the Bears uniform at one point. If Harbaugh is obviously openly available, should I be mad the Bears didn't fire Matt Eberflus and make a full-fledged effort to, to try to bring him to Chicago where there would be a good situation because you'd have the number one overall pick. You'd get to do whatever he wanted in terms of drafting a new quarterback or keeping fields and a lot of assets and whatnot. Not to say that it's for sure better than L.A. with Justin Herbert and whatnot, but I think there's more... 
tied up money there as far as the Chargers go and maybe more wiggle room to do and build it how you want in Chicago? Should I be mad the Bears didn't open up that that possibility? I think a little bit. It, it, it's interesting, though. My view on the Bears situation is this. You either go all out and, like, clean house and start over or you run it back and, and have some continuity there. Like, my view is that if they're going to stick with Fields, then it's fine to stick with Eberflus and you, you that pairing can move forward. And if you don't build a playoff team next year, then everyone's out. Or if you want to restart with Caleb Williams, give him an offensive head coach and a new coordinator and just a whole new regime there in Chicago. Not regime's the wrong word because that would imply front office, but a whole new coaching staff quarterback pairing. And if they do end up uh, drafting Caleb one, then I do think that I would view it as a mistake to bring Eberflus back as kind of a lame duck head coach there with a new quarterback. Yeah, that's a good point. So in that case, I would say you probably shouldn't be upset because you want Fields I back. I do, so I do. I think you should be fine that they're – I know Scott on the U of I Link text line agrees with me, right? Just, Justin Fields train, he's with me. I'm just kidding. He's he's dra- team drafted quarterbacks. So I'm not saying it's crazy or wrong. I just – I like my opinion. I think I'm right. But uh, uh, anyways – We'll talk more NFL head coaching situation, more Illinois-Michigan coming up on the other side of this break. Stick with us. This is The Drive.